0: Romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. So the camera just swung around 180 degrees. For the last 40 years, we've been charting the lives, the course of the lives of the Israelites, the good, the bad, the kvechi and the camera has panned between Moshe and God and the people. 40 years of internal politics, of loss, of revelation, of song, and yes, of kvetching. Everything you wanted to know about the Israelites but were afraid to ask. And then suddenly, with absolutely no warning, the camera swings. Or maybe it's like you're watching HBO, and the cat steps on the remote control and suddenly you're watching something completely different. I don't have a television, but I imagine like TMZ or Comedy Central and boom. Once upon a time, there was a terrified king named Balak who saw foreigners at his door in droves and droves, migrants heading up to a promised land He saw how this ragtag group of Israelites knocked first on his neighbors' doors, how we were turned away, and how his neighbor kingdoms attacked the seemingly vulnerable Israelites. It should have been easy, right? But how the Israelites miraculously emerged victorious and how everything went incredibly south for all of Balak's neighbors. And now here was this group of Israelites and they were knocking on his door. Balak was quaking in his boots. He saw us and he said, you know, this people will nibble away everything around us just like an ox nibbles the grass of the field. It has a familiar ring to it. But instead of building a wall or pulling children from their families, He says, you know, armies haven't done the job, so I need something more potent, more decisive. I need words. Cursing, vituperative words. So what does he do? He hires the most famous biblical hexer to take us all down. Bil'am. But Balak doesn't invite Balaam to just come in, waltz in, and curse, and just, you know, do his thing. He's more paranoid and strategic than that. Because Balak knows that there are two things in this world, two things that will reverse a hexer from giving a curse. One. Where did it go? One. (laughs) I know what it is. I know what it is. The first thing that is going to prevent this hexer that's going to turn him around is proximity. If Balaam gets too close, the hexer might develop feelings. He might see these people eye to eye and maybe understand even his Levinasian obligation to the person in front of him. He might even learn to love or at least to bless two seeing the whole picture if Bil'am sees this people in their entirety, in their fullness 3D, he might not be able to curse them anymore because once you have the big picture once you can see the ofek the horizon cursing is behind you so what Balak, Balak does is he leads Bil'am to a lookout that's far enough away so that Bil'am won't feel any connection or attachment. And he's got an obstructed view, so he can only make out a little edge, the corner of the people. I'm not gonna move and see what happens. Kitzei <laughs> Ha'am, the corner of the people. It's like seeing a people entirely out of context. It's like seeing a fact out of context. If I, Balak, show you only those on the fringe and according to Midrash HaGadol, who lives on the the fringe but the good-for-nothings, the stragglers, the, I don't know, the tribe of Don, if I <laughs> that's actually it in the in Targum in, in the Aramaic translation it says the tribe of Dan they're notorious sinners and they you know they actually happen to live on the edge. That was how the tribes were arranged. But if I show you this fringe, this extreme edge at such a distance that you can't really see them. You can't really understand them. You have no connection. You don't know who they are, and it's the perfect habitat from which to curse. It also happens to be a great strategy for propaganda. And doesn't it have a ring of familiarity? Each day, each moment, a new out-of-context sliver a newsfeed notification, a a contradictory tweet, a -a whack-a-mole of national policy nightmares. Disorienting our country with moving targets, sleight of hand, a tweet a day keeps the country at bay. We're running after each new flare-up in opposite corners, opposite edges, opposite extremes. Immigrants, Supreme Court, guns, sleepovers with dictators, trade each corner each edge becomes the strategy each one pulls focus so we lose sight of the whole so we might complain and we might curse but we can't get ourselves together in order to bless to create the change that we want to see I could it could easily happen and it is happening We could sit here until the whole tapestry of our democracy, corner by corner, edge by edge, is shot through with so many holes that it's left tattered and torn. A friend of mine described this corner by corner, edge by edge form of governing as a kind of inverse dienu. So on Pesach, we get together and we say, we count each step of the way towards the Promised Land, each individual miracle that God performed. We say, Dayenu, it would have been enough and we would be grateful. But this Dayenu right now is counting each step of the way towards the destruction of our democracy. And instead of saying, Dayenu, Thank you, we're saying, dayenu, each step is enough for outrage. It would have been enough. Had he praised dictators and not referred to neo-Nazis as very good people, dayenu, it would have been enough for outrage. Had he decreed a Muslim ban but not issued a zero-tolerance policy, separating families at the border, dayenu. Had he not, had they not, had we not, dayenu, enough, But let's get back to Balak. Because Balak, with obstructed view and all, what did he do? He blessed. And he became a blessing. He was hired to curse, and he faced an edge-by-edge, corner-by-corner strategy, but he turned it around. Bil'am turned it around. How did he do it? According to our Talmudic sages, it was all God. It was all divine intervention. It had to do with the devar that God put into Bilam's mouth before he began to speak. And the rabbis asked, what exactly was that divar?" I mean, you may think it was a word that God placed inside his mouth, but it wasn't. It was, some say, a bit. Like... That a horse or an ox would wear a bit in the mouth iron so that God would pull this way and that so that the curses that he was trying to get out of his mouth were pulled in the opposite direction and became blessings it's quite a visual and the others <laughs> our other sage said no 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 it wasn't a bit it was an angel It was an angel, an orthodontic angel that God placed in Bil'am's throat and it massaged each word that started as a curse until it became a blessing. But I'm drawn to a different interpretation altogether this year and it comes from the Ramban, Nachmanides, who gives Bil'am a little bit of credit in turning the story around. Yeah, God was very present and the divine was moving, and Bil'am took some action for himself. Ramban says that when Bil'am goes off alone, uh, when he goes off alone to curse, he secretly walks to another lookout. One where he can see not just the corner of the people, but the full entire picture. He grabs his panoramic lens and takes in all of Israel. And this is why each curse turns into blessing because Bil'am refused to see only the corner, only the edge. And Bilam begins to bless and bless until it sticks, until Ruach Elohim is on him, the spirit of the divine and blessing becomes like breathing. And we we gotta do the same. We can't be fooled by corners and edges. We need the full perspective. We need to step out alone and get the full picture, not get sucked in and distracted. And we have to be ready, keeping our eyes on the ofek on the horizon. Because as my teacher Sharon Cohen-Anisfeld said, we will stitch back together what has already been torn apart. At the moment that Bil'am blesses Israel for the third time, he's seen the whole, and he blesses all of us. And this blessing has become part of our liturgy. First thing we say when we walk into shul in the morning, depending on the shul, Yaakov, How good, how goodly are your tents, Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. Now in that moment, see if you can do it. That lens, do you remember, that flipped around and did a 180 turning from the Israelites to Balak and this whole wild story at the beginning of the Parsha? Imagine it turning right back around. But this time, hyperlinked through years, through our Haftarah. Because this language of Matovu, it repeats in the Haftarah. But this time, instead of being a declaration, a proclamation of blessing, it becomes a question, and the camera is turned back on us. This Haftarah from Micah. Says, yes, it was powerful that this outsider Bilam looked at us and saw goodness. But what does it actually mean to be good, Matov? How do each of us live out good in this world? And here's the prophet's answer: Matov, Uma Hashem Doresh Mimcha. What is good, and what does God? require of you ki im asot mishpat God requires only this asot mishpat do justice ve'ahavat chesed and love mercy The lechet im Elohecha and walk humbly with your God only this God asks of you this is what's good Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. So Balak and Bil'am. Bil'am called out, I imagine, in spoken word to Balak. And it sounded maybe a little bit like this stand up balak and hear me son of bird now don't you fear me who do you think god is i say who do you think god is l be not like you and me fairweather friend for a small fee shooting tweets psychotically i say who do you think god is would god speak and not perform predict rain and not bring storm call for change with no reform look To bless, I was brought to hell with curses that you sought. I've seen the whole picture, I've been taught. So I may not know who God be, but I know what she wants of me. Acts of justice, love, mercy. With her will I walk humbly. Please rise.